0: Let's all open up our Bibles to Psalm 55, Psalm 55, the message is entitled, Battling Backstabbers, Battling Backstabbers. How many of you have ever felt stabbed in the back? Okay, so the rest that didn't raise your hand, you were the backstabbers who stabbed them in the back, right? I see how you are. I see how you are. Here we are in Psalm 55, Battling Backstabbers, verse 1, where we read, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring trouble down upon me. And in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander afar off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, My acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together, walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved, but you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Amen. Now, you might notice in some of your Bibles, if you have a title, it might read, To the Chief Musician. So keep in mind, David penned this psalm, then he gave it to one of his few worship leaders, Asaph maybe was one of them, and he said, I want you to take this song that I've written here and I want you to sing it at the tabernacle, whether the people are there and, and before the Lord, sing this song, which to me is quite fascinating because there are lines in it like, cut their tongues in half, send them to hell. Now, I just can't imagine Jason and the worship team up here saying that, those songs while they're worshiping God. Come on, with me, yeah, send them to hell, send them to hell. I just don't know if that would fly. You hear that on K-Love or some Christian radio station. Probably wouldn't fly, but they did. They sang that back in the day, and it says, with stringed instruments, so with the harp or the lyre or the psaltery, a contemplation of David, something he had thought long and hard about. If you have ever felt stabbed in the back, this psalm is for you. Being stabbed in the back, it's never fun. But depending on who is doing it, it does make a difference in how it feels. For example, some stranger on Facebook saying something mean about you, well, it might feel a little bit like this, a a little exacto. Oh, it's going to hurt, but it's probably not going to kill you. But if it's someone a little closer to you, maybe a co-worker, it might feel a little bit like this, like like a pocket knife. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt deep. It's going to do damage. But what if it's someone even closer to you, like a Christian brother or sister in Christ? It's going to feel like this, (laughs) like a huge dagger. (laughs) But if it's someone, now imagine if it's someone Who's as close as close can be, a family member or a close confidant, it might feel like one of these bad boys. Yeah, stabbed in the back. Now, some suggest that David penned this psalm when he was on the run from his son Absalom, who was trying to kill him in order to take over the throne. Now, whether or not David penned this psalm about that specific event or maybe about another backstabbing. The meaning is clear. If or when, when, someone who you thought was a friend, someone you thought was a loved one stabs you in the back, you and I, we simply just need to trust God. We simply need to just trust the Lord. Not take matters in our own hands. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And I have found that if I try to avenge myself, God's going to let me. And I'm going to make a huge mess of it make matters even worse for myself. But if I say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to step back. I'm going to give it to you. Please take it and help me not to worry about it. then God does marvelous things. And so David, he was in this situation. He doesn't try to take matters into his own hands. He simply trusts God. David was indeed stabbed in the back by his own son, Absalom. And you remember the story. Absalom had a sister named Tamar. Uh, They both had a half-brother by the name of Amnon. Amnon ended up raping Tamar. And Absalom, her brother, was obviously upset. They told David about it, and guess what David did? Basically nothing. Oh, David was a sweet psalmist of Israel, he was truly a man after God's own heart. But let's be honest, he was a pretty bad father. He created a moral vacuum. And when some father creates a moral and spiritual vacuum in the lives of his children, something evil is going to fill that place. Amen. And that's what happened. You're welcome. That's what happened with, uh, with Absalom. Evil filled his heart. And he had a friend named Ahithophel. I'll tell you about his story here in a little bit. He was a close confident of David. Once David found out that Absalom and Ahithophel were plotting against him, how do you think he felt? What do you think was his first inclination? Well, we don't have to guess because in verses 1 through 8 we read, I just want to run away. Want to get away? Want to run away? Want to fly away? Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Have you ever felt that God is hiding himself from your prayers? Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, God himself, the Holy Spirit, has taken up residency within you. The moment you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you were sealed with the Spirit of promise. The Spirit has come to dwell within you. Jesus said he would never leave you nor forsake you. He will not leave you orphaned. He's with you. You never need to pray, Lord, please come to me. The Holy Spirit would say, I'm already in you. How much closer can I get? What we do need to pray is, Lord, help me to be aware of, of your presence, or as someone put it, have an acute awareness of the thereness of God. That's what we need. We need to just say, Lord, you're with me. Help me know this. Help me appreciate this, realize this. Attend to my prayer. Give ear to my prayer. Don't hide yourself from my supplication. Well, God isn't. He never will. You're the apple of his eye. He can't take his eyes off of you. Last night at the reception, uh, there was Whitney. She was sitting in a chair and her husband, brand new uh, husband, was kneeling and had all the other men kneeling around and they led us in a song. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You know the song, Right? Well, Jesus is looking at you the same way. You're just too good to be true. After what he's done in cleansing us and all, now he can say it. You're just too good to be true. I can't take my eyes off of you. That's the relationship that Jesus has with you. Yeah, but I've done. Look, your sins and your lawless deeds, he remembers no more. Somebody say amen to that. There you go. Attend to me. Hear me, he says. I am restless in my complaint. And moan noisily. Uh, I know how he feels. You know how he feels. Oh, Lord, when's this going to go away? When are they going to leave me alone? Because of the voice of the enemy. Because of the oppression of the wicked. For they bring down trouble upon me. And in wrath they hate me. Wow. People hated David. You know what? The devil hates you. And he's convinced a lot of his people around you to hate you as well. It's, it's no fun being hated. No question about it. Especially by someone who you thought was a friend or a loved one, and that's what David was going through. Verse 4, my heart is severely pained within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. David realized he could be murdered at any moment. Absalom and Ahithophel, they had all their friends. You remember how Absalom had stolen the hearts of the people away from David to himself. A lot of people that were mad at David wanted to see him dead. Now, you and I, we might have people that might be upset of us, but how many of us actually have people that are lying in wait to try to kill us? Probably none of us. But that was David. Compound that with the fact that it was his own flesh and blood son that was the one trying to do him, to do him in. So I said, verse 6, my, my initial response, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Ever felt like that? I just want to go away. Go way off into the woods and some remote cabin and stay there for ever, <laughs> Until everything goes bye-bye. Uh, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. I don't have to be told twice. God, you want me to go? I'm gone. That's how David felt. I wish I could fly away from these awful people in this awful situation. And I'm sure you felt the same. In verses 9 through 14, we read, My friend is my enemy. My friend is my enemy. Verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, Divide their tongues. Lord, they're speaking like snakes. You might as well split their tongues while you're at it. In fact, cut out their tongues, Lord. Make them incapable of speaking ill and evil anymore. Now, the reason that he says this is not just for his own benefit, but he saw what the wagging of the tongues and the flapping of the gums was doing to the city and to the nation. Notice, I have seen violence and strife in the city. David was grieved over the violence and strife caused by the enemy speaking lies and evil. And that can happen not just outside the church, but it can happen even inside the church. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you who have been Christians for any length of time have been in other churches where all of a sudden somebody starts talking and then they get a group of people and they start talking and they don't like this. They don't like that. They complain about this. Why is the carpet gray? Why are there purple lights on the side of the walls? Why this? Why that? What's up with that? And all of a sudden, the division guild springs up. The division committee and the pastor, after the church split, is standing there saying, I just wanted to teach the Bible and love people. And what happened? People were talking. And the tongue can do that. Destroy and divide. It's horrible. It's horrible. In fact, James tells us in James chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, he says, even so the tongue is a little member, but yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest the little fire kindles. Now, as as, uh, Pastor Troy mentioned, he and I, we both grew up in Southern California and came from there. Here in, in, in the Lynchburg area, where I'm from, in Memphis, Tennessee, a little suburb called Bartlett, we have four seasons, spring, summer fall and winter in california they have four seasons fire flood earthquake and riot those are the four seasons in california (laughs) but typically when hundreds of thousands of acres are on fire they'll say yes it was an unattended campfire I remember one time somebody had a flat tire on a trailer and sparks were shooting out and little sparks caused a huge several hundred thousand acre forest fire. Little beginning. And when people get talking, they start saying negative things. Man, what a huge forest of church believers that fire will consume. Now, it's been said and I believe it's true The ones who complain the most typically do the least. They're not serving. They're not giving. They're not involved in the church life. Oh, but they're like armchair quarterbacks. Why did he do that? Why did they do this? What, 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 blah, 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 blah. Those who complain the most typically do the least, but I've seen the opposite to be true also. Those who do the most will complain the least. Those that are serving, those that are giving, Those that are involved. And in your fellowship, I know it's on the heart of your pastor that everybody be filled with the Holy Spirit and that the gifts of the Spirit be used to build up the body of Christ. Every church is not a spectator sport. Church is not for pupitators. You're welcome for that as well. Church is for participants. Why doesn't the church do this or that? That's a good question. Why aren't you doing this or that? You're the church. I think the church needs great. God put it on your heart. Do it. And those who do the most, those who give the most, they end up complaining the least because they're bought in. They're all in. Be careful about the wagging of the tongue. Yeah, we expect it from the world, but we're the body of Christ. We're the broad of Christ. We're to bless and not curse. And we'll read that verse here in a little bit. David's enemies were using their fiery tongues to turn people against him and do great damage to the nation. Notice verse 10. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Uh, in the ancient city uh, of Jerusalem, even to this day, there are ancient walls you can actually get on top of. It's wide enough where you can walk around that ancient part of the city. And this is what they were doing. The uh, pro-Absalom people We're walking around the walls, calling out, David's a jerk, Absalom's cool, and stealing the hearts of the people. It's exactly what they were saying. Uh, Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. Now, verse 12, David says, now it's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. It's not like the Philistines are rising up to come against me, the enemies of Israel, because I know how to deal with them. I dealt with a really big Philistine early on. Who remembers his name? Goliath, that's right. Dealt with Goliath. David dealt with Goliath, didn't he? He can deal with the enemies. And he also says, nor is it one who hates me, someone who I know doesn't like me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. If it was even another Israelite who I knew didn't like me, was just honest and said, I don't like you. I can deal with that. It's troublesome when someone you don't know or aren't very familiar with will say bad things about you. But when it's someone you thought was your friend, a loved one, well, that's devastating. And that's what it was like for David. Notice he says in verse 13 so it wasn't an enemy, it wasn't even just some guy who hated me, but it was you, a man, my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. He said, we took sweet counsel together. I thought we were cool. I thought things were fine. We took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God in the throng. Imagine that. You think everything's fine and the person you're sitting next to loves you, but all the while they're plotting your downfall. Now, some of you are getting a little nervous sitting next to who you're sitting next to at this point. Who are you? Uh, Okay, good, not you. Good, thank you. That's what enemies say, not me. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. But when somebody who you thought loved you is doing... And this is what was happening to David. This is what David was doing. Well, this raises a question. Who was this backstabbing friend, so-called friend of David? One of them that we read of in Scripture was Ahithophel. He was the father of a man named Eliam. Eliam... So Ahithophel gives birth to Eliam. Eliam later on grows up and he has a daughter. Guess what her name was? Who knows? Begins with Bath. Bathsheba, Bathsheba, that's right. Ooh, plot thickens. This is interesting. Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. Ahithophel. Did not like the fact that David had committed adultery with his granddaughter and that David then arranged for the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. Ahithophel stewed in his bitterness forever, pretended to be a confidant, pretended to be a friend to David. You know, oh, we're, we're good, David, we're good. Oh no, no, not in his heart. Holding on to this deep seated bitterness until an opportunity arose where he could take vengeance on David in the most hurtful way. How was that? Through helping David's son Absalom try to kill his father and take over the kingdom. It's really interesting how as long as Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice, things were really working out well for him. At this point, David had fled the city. Absalom had secured the throne. He was demonstrating that he was large and in charge by even having sexual relations with David's concubines. And then at that point, Absalom says to Ahithophel, what should we do next? Ahithophel says, tell you what, let me gather together a contingency of troops. Your dad is tired, he's on the run, we can catch him unawares, we can kill him, and then the throne is yours forever and ever. And you know what, that was Excellent advice. It would have worked. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, Now the advice of Ahithophel which he gave in those days was as if one had inquired of the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel both with David and with Absalom. It was spot on advice. But David had a secret agent in Absalom's camp. Who knows, the daily double question is, what was the name of David's spy in Absalom's camp? It was, who knows. Begins with an H, ends with Ushai. Hushai, yeah, that's it. His name was Hushai, okay? So he says to Hushai, what do you advise? He said, dude, don't do it. Your dad, right now he's so angry, he's like a mama bear robbed of her cubs. In fact, your dad, he's been a, a warrior since his youth. He knows all the cool hiding places. You try to go find him, he's going to jump on you and kill you all. Don't go out now. Here's what you should do. Wait until you yourself can muster a huge army. And then you yourself lead them. And you yourself kill your father. And you yourself will get all the victory. And now it's all like, oh, that's a good plan. I like that. And he went with that plan. Meanwhile, in the wilderness, David is mourning over the rebellion of his son and fuming over the betrayal of his so-called friend Ahithophel. And that's why in verses 15 through 29, he prays, Death to the backstabber. Death to the backstabber. Verse 15, let Death seized them. Let them go down alive into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. David wished death and eternal destruction upon his enemies. Now, to be fair, David lived under the old covenant. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, stripe for stripe, wound for wound. Whatever you do to me, I'm justified in doing back to you. That's the old covenant. We, however or on this side of the empty tomb, under the new covenant. And the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, told the church in Rome, and he tells us how we should respond to those who want to do us in. In Romans chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless. He has to repeat it twice, because the first, if he only said it once, they're like, nah, never mind. No, he says it twice. Bless, and do not curse. I admit, that's hard. I don't wanna bless them. I wanna blast them with dynamite or some other plastic explosion. I wanna blast them. Under the new covenant, though, we are called to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This does not mean that you need to know every in and out when it concerns the doctrine of grace. There's some people who really pride themselves on being experts in knowing everything that there is to know about the grace of God, yet some of them are the most ungracious people you never want to be around. Now, the Lord is telling us, you be super strong in being gracious toward people. Have you received grace from our Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, you give that back. As gracious as the Lord has been to you, you give it back. The golden rule, right? Do to others as you would have them do to you. Not do to others what they did to you. That's not gold. That's, some, that's aluminum or something. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Bless those who persecute you. That's hard. But it's doable because you and I have the indwelling of the Spirit, we can call upon the Holy Spirit to to fill us and anoint us and give us the power to do these things. We can tell the man in the mirror, look, do what the Lord says. I have no control over them, but I absolutely have control of that man in the mirror. And they might not want to have reconciliation with me, but that doesn't matter. What matters is what am I willing to do? Do I want to bless them or do I want to blast them? And Jesus tells us to bless them. So therefore, that's what we will do. Now, with all that said, I certainly do relate to David's desire to see his enemies destroyed. David might not have had the best attitude toward his enemies, but he certainly did have the right idea of what he himself should do. As for me, so here we are battling backstabbers. What do we do? As for me, my responsibility, number one, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Notice the confidence here. Somebody under the old covenant, you and I were under the new covenant, We have the Spirit dwelling within us, something David could never understand. In fact, in Psalm 53, he prays, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. We don't have to worry about that. That's not our prayer. Our prayer is, help me to be aware of your presence that will never leave me nor forsake me. And if David could with confidence saying, the Lord shall save me, if I will call upon God, then God will save me. If he can have that confidence, you can have much more confidence in that. How often should we pray? Well, he says in verse 17, evening and morning and at noon, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and early and often, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud. And again, the confidence of somebody under the old covenant, he shall hear my voice. Wow. Isn't that cool? And if he was confident that God would hear his voice, how much more should we be? When we feel we are backstabbed, what should we do? Curse them to hell? No. We're to pray. Early and often. God promises he will be with us and deliver us. And David did seek the Lord early and often. God did deliver him. Eventually, The counsel of Ahithophel and his rebellious son Absalom came to nothing. Notice verse 18. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. There were many against me. God will hear and afflict them. Even he who abides from of old. And God did indeed come through for David. Absalom, following the uh, advice of Hushai, did muster a huge army, and he eventually he died in battle. Once Ahithophel realized his counsel was rejected in favor of Hushai's, Ahithophel realized he had chosen the wrong side. He's like, uh-oh. Absalom was following my advice. Things were great. It was working out well. Now he's not following my advice. I've chosen the wrong side. It's not going to go well for Absalom. And if David comes back to the throne, it's not going to go well for me. What to do? What to do? Well, he chose really poorly in 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23, when Ahithophel saw that his vice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. He thought... That it'd be better to kill himself than to fall into the hands of David. He was probably right. Now, it's never right to kill oneself. But this man, as we'll see later on, was not a true believer. He was lost. Question Why was it that Absalom and Ahithophel were so determined to destroy David in the first place? Why did they want to do him in? Now, we do, as we mentioned, the backstory. Ahithophel's Bathsheba's granddad. Absalom, David's son, was really upset and angry over the, the uh, inactivity of his father David. But verse 19 has really kind of an overarching reason for why these guys were so bad. Because, verse 19, they do not change Therefore, they do not fear God. Absalom and Ahithophel did not fear God. Therefore, they remained unchanged. The natural man, the fear of God, one who is born again and then fears the Lord, they will always change. Will change from sinfulness to holiness, from self promoting to God proclaiming, from self seeking to others loving. The fear of the Lord in Scripture is, is repeated often, that phrase, the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One, understanding. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. In fact, we read that in Proverbs eight thirteen. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogance, and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. We are told to fear God. The Scripture says, knowing therefore the terror of God, we persuade Man, we know what's going to happen to the non-believers. That's why we're trying to persuade them to be reconciled to Jesus before it's too late. The old King James Version refers to God as terrible. But the word means terrifying. Not bad, but terrifying. Let us not soften the meaning of the word. Fear means fear. We are to fear the Lord. Like one comedian said years ago, my dad didn't lecture. He just would look at me and say, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Oh, God, you could do that if you wanted. Right now, are you causing your heart to beat or is it just happening? Who's causing it to happen? Could he not say, you're done? He could. To fear the Lord, to hate evil. These guys were not fearing God. Absalom and Ahithophel, they didn't fear God, therefore they would not change. They were still of their father, the devil. Oh, they went to church. They pretended religiosity. They didn't fear God. Otherwise, they would have loved David, who did fear God. It's odd how non-God fearers, not only don't they change... But eventually, they begin to hate and even pit themselves against those who are God-fears. Have you noticed this? Maybe in your own family, you've come to faith in Jesus, but they don't. And now they don't like you. How'd that happen? You like them. You love them. You want them to get saved like you, but they don't like you. How'd that happen? Because they don't fear God. Therefore, they don't change. And verse 20, he, the the bad guy who doesn't fear God, has put forth his hand against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. David thought Ahithophel was his friend. David thought that things were right between him and Absalom. But neither Ahithophel nor Absalom feared the Lord. Therefore, they remained unchanged. And they hated the one who feared God, who did change, King David. And then these guys did all they could to try to bring David down. Verse 21 The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. What do you call a person who says one thing, but in their hearts is completely different? You call him a hypocrite. That's right. They say one thing, but in their hearts they have something completely different. Hypocrites eventually do themselves in. As was the case with both Absalom and Ahithophel. They eventually will do themselves in, but what do you and I do until God deals with them? How do we respond to persecutors? Verses 22 and 23, how to respond to persecutors. Number one, cast your burden on the Lord. Don't try to defend yourself. Don't fire back nasty things on Facebook. Cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain you. What a promise. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. This is a promise of God that he often makes in Scripture, including Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. Now, the words that I'm about to read, Romans 37 through 39, are they true? You better say yes, because it's a Bible. Are these true words that I'm about to read? Romans chapter 8, verse 37, 39. Yes, verse 37. Yet in all these things, and and, and certainly Paul had gone through a lot, had he not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But what if they kill us? Hey, to be out from the body is to be present with the Lord. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'll be with Jesus. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. And and then Paul wonders, is there any other thing? Nor any other created thing, he says. I love that. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Are these true words? Then why do we still worry? Why are we concerned about what the government is doing? Why are we concerned about what those people are posting? Why are we worried and upset? If these are true words and God is bigger than all of this stuff and He loves you to death, how much does Jesus love you? I love you this much, He says, and in this position He was crucified. Why do we still worry? Bottom line is we don't believe it's true. We're not truly biblically. We, we, we know but we don't live. If we did, we'd stop worrying. God's got this. I cast my burdens on the Lord. He's going to sustain me. I don't need to worry about that anymore. I prayed about it. I gave it to Him. He has it, and I'm not going to go pick it back up. I do that, and I know some of you do that as well. You pray about something. Lord, I lay this at the foot of the cross. Oh, wait, let me pick it up again. I'll just worry about it a little more. And then when I get really bummed, I'll, I'll lay it back down, and then I'll pick it up again. We tend to do that, don't we? Why? We walk by sight and not by faith, when well, we should be walking by faith and not by sight. Just like Peter, there he was, walking on water. I asked the question of the last uh, two services: "Hey, you ever walked on water?" One guy said, "Yeah." Okay. I said, when? He says, well, when when the lake was frozen, then I walked on water. That's cheating. Peter walked on liquid water. How many of you, including myself, how many of us have ever walked on water? None of us. How did he do it? Kept his eyes on Jesus. The moment he got his eyes off of the Lord and onto his problems and the circumstances and the issues of life and the waves and all, that's when he began to sink. Now, to his credit, he he prayed the most eloquent prayer ever. Lord, save me! And Jesus saved him. We get our eyes on the people and the situation and the stuff and junk of life, things that are temporary, not eternal. Our eyes are then off of Jesus, and we'll begin to sink. We're told to cast our burdens on the Lord. Leave them there, and he will sustain you. He'll help you to rise above it all. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon Him for He cares for you. Oh, how much He loves you. If there's one thing that I might impart this morning that I would hope you would take away, it's the fact that Jesus loves you. You're the apple of His eye. Your sins and your lawless deeds He remembers no more. If you trust in Him as your Savior and Lord, you're a new creature. You're going to heaven The best is yet to be. You're a work in progress. Jesus loves you. Receive that. Believe it. Because it's true. Cast your burdens on the Lord. He will sustain you. But you, O God, verse 23, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. God, you'll deal with it. I don't have to. You'll deal with them. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. The more we trust in God and in His Word, the less we will worry about what men might do. It's interesting, there's a one-on-one correlation to that. More trust in God, less worry. But if I worry a lot, that means I'm not trusting in God. And by the way, we live in a day when it doesn't matter where it's coming from, whether it be uber-conservative or very liberal, they're all preaching the same thing. They're all selling the same thing. Whether it be the Christian conservative media or the uber-liberal media they're all selling the same thing. You know what it is? Fear. They're selling fear. You know the most often uh, uh, repeated uh, command in scripture is fear not. That's the most often repeated phrase, the commandment in scripture. And they're all selling something. And, and typically it's you know a five gallon bucket of freeze dried potatoes to stick in your prepper closet. They're selling you something. Fear. They want you to watch. Here's the problem. There's a man in our fellowship who came to me and, and in tears said, I listen to all that super conservative Christian so called news media stuff and I get so angry and so upset and I go home and I tell my wife about it and she. Is from a Latin American country that really has a wicked government. And she's thinking, oh, wow, the United States is becoming like the government I had to flee from. And now she's staying up at night worried. And she's not able to sleep. I said, wow, that's the rotten fruit of being consumed with the fear of man. Whether it be from one side or the other, it doesn't matter. They're selling fear, gang. It's coming from the same store, just from different departments. And that's why we're told in Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Trust in God. Trust in the Lord. Cast your, your burdens on the Lord. He will sustain you. Pray early and often, evening, morning, at noon. Oh, one more thing. Jesus himself gave us specific instructions about dealing with backstabbers. In the Sermon on the Mount, the disciples had asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he gave for them an outline, a model for their prayer. You know, the Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In that model prayer, there is, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, a line in it that says, and forgive us our debts as. Not as. Forgive us our debts, and maybe we will. He says, as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins, our trespasses, our iniquities, as we forgive our debtors. What did he mean by that? Well, it's the only line in that prayer that he gave commentary on in verse 14 of Matthew 6. He says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your Trespasses to the degree you forgive will be to the degree you are forgiven. If we forgive, we'll be forgiven. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Now, some of us are like, wait a second. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. New covenant. Wait, oh, grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. And you're right, but I dare not soften what Jesus here said. He said it. He meant it. The end. To the degree we forgive, is the degree we will be forgiven. Now, someone might say, but you have no idea how badly they backstabbed me. Said the person who has no idea how badly they backstabbed Jesus. Has anyone mocked you, punched you, whipped you, beaten a crown of thorns down upon your head and nailed you to a cross? It's never happened to me. But my sins did all that and more so to my Lord Jesus. I have no excuse. And for me, to hold a grudge at that point against somebody else who has done far less is unforgivable. And that's the point that he's making. It is unforgivable to not forgive somebody in light of all that I've been forgiven of. So right now, the Holy Spirit is probably putting people's names in your mind and you want to go, remember that person? Or it says, forgive them. Oh, yeah, but no, no, yeah, buts. There's an interesting Christian animal that hops around the church, which called the yabut. You ever encountered them? The Bible says this, Yabat? Yeah, no, 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 no. Death to Yabots. We're not to have them. Ever. The Bible says this, Yes, Lord. Give me the strength to obey. Forgive. You know, after the closing song, if anybody has bitterness in their heart, let's give it to the Lord today. Let's... Lay it at the foot of the cross and leave it there. And you'll experience forgiveness. Like maybe you haven't experienced up to this point. If we won't forgive, we won't be forgiven. That's why Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, that person that you're forgiving in your heart, they might not want to ever reconcile with you. That's on them. You and I, we deal with that man, that woman in the mirror. Make sure that we're right and trust God to take care of that. So how do we deal with backstabbers? Number one, call upon God early and often. God promises to save you. Number two, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Number three, cast your burdens on the Lord. God promises to sustain you. And finally, Forgive those who backstabbed you, just like Jesus forgave your and my backstabbings. And Father, with that, we do come to you in the blessed name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive our sins, and you even forget our sins. You hold nothing against us. You have nothing against us whatsoever. God, would you help us to come to that place with other people? Lord, it doesn't mean that what they did wasn't wrong, but Lord, We trust you to deal with them. And Lord, help us to forgive and be willing to let it go even right now. Lord, do that work in our lives. Help us not to worry. Help us not to fear what man might do, what we think they might do. Help us to trust in you because you are trustworthy. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name and all of God's kids said, amen.